Okay, we're live. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. On tonight's show, we have a very special guest. He comes to us all the way from Cambodia. His name is Dr. Reed Sheftal. Last name is spelled S-H-E-F-T-A-L-L. He's just published a book, very interesting book, very timely book. Highly recommend people check it out. It comes from a perspective of a medical doctor. Title is Heroes and Villains, the COVID-19 Book of Lists. And it's a personal story, too. He's had personal friends who've been injured by these shots. And he goes into detail. A lot of the names of the usual suspects are in this book. But it's an interesting take because it's a survey of people who got it wrong and people who got it right. But he can talk more about his career. He has some uh, slides we're going to put up if you're watching on YouTube. You can watch this also on Rockfin. I'll have to take it off of YouTube once we're done due to censorship concerns. But you can also follow up and watch this on Twitter or Rockfin or uh, Odyssey or Rumble. So, Dr. Reed Sheftoff, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, William. It's nice to be with you. Excellent. So for people who may not have known your name or your work, can you talk about your background, your academic career, and what led you up to putting together this book, Heroes and Villains? Yeah, I've got a slide um, that sort of shows it in pictures. If I can uh, jump in yeah. now. Yeah, yeah, there we go. Um, here's the, the first slide uh, sort of depicting what, what my career has been about. I was a physics major at MIT in my earlier days, and I taught physics for one year at uh, USC out in California. And then I uh, decided to be a doctor. So I went back to medical school and became a surgeon, uh, which is listed there. Um, I run a uh, clinic in Cambodia called the American Medical Center, and I have a charity here. This is why I'm here primarily. It's called Operation Kids. And we treat uh, children that have been burned with acid uh, primarily, uh, other kind of burns also. And it's expanded into a huge thing. We do cardiac surgery now and um, repair of decubitus ulcers, stumps from landmine accidents, et cetera. Um, and so these are a few pictures through the years of, of the clinic in Cambodia and some of our patients in Operation Kids. Gotcha. So you are... Uh working as a doctor uh, in a foreign country in Cambodia. And then what kind of led you, and I know you have a personal story about this whole pandemic situation. Can you talk about that and what yeah, led you? Yeah, um, I, was, I was over here and um, I noticed just through the news that there was a virus in Wuhan, China. This is in uh, probably early February of 2020. And um, started to look into it. And a lot of the things that I was hearing on television were not making any sense. Like primarily the infection fatality rate is the first thing that I noticed that didn't seem right. So uh, I thought they were engaged in selection bias, which they were. And I did the calculations myself and I got an infection fatality rate that was 1 40th of um, the rate that they were publicizing. They said it was 4%. And I did a calculation based on a cruise ship that was uh, docked quarantined in Yokohama, Japan. And um, my calculation came out to be 0.1%, which turned out to be the correct one. Uh, and they had it 40 times too high, not 40% too high, 40 times too high. And this was scaring people needlessly and causing all kinds of problems. It scared people into accepting things like lockdowns and so forth, which I knew would be a disaster. So on March 17th, I wrote um, four 
hosts of network news shows on Fox and CNN to kind of get the whole political spectrum. And I never heard back from any of them. And of course, we went into lockdowns. And we all know about what happened there. Um, I also heard the controversy of where the virus came from. I kind of assumed it came from the Wuhan lab from the beginning, since that it happened in the same city. And it sort of defied the odds to think that it would happen in a city with a biosafety level three lab, but not come from the lab. It just didn't make any sense. So I actually looked into that too and used logic that we used to use in physics when I studied thermodynamics, sort of look at it statistically and look at all the coincidences that would have had to happen. And when I did that, you know, I, I came up with like a one in eight billion chance that it did not come from the lab. So I went out on a limb sort of and made an essay about it and uh, put it on Facebook and it was taken down within a couple of days. And I'd never experienced uh, essays being taken down. So I thought maybe I'd loaded it wrong or something like that, but I've had trouble with videos and essays being taken down for the last three years. Um, right. So I, I didn't realize there was so much censorship going on, but evidently there's a lot. Right. Well, nobody really expected this whole censorship to be as intense. I was censored as well uh, for just the election stuff. But uh, the 2020 election, two of my website, two of my YouTube channels are gone. But you're yeah. saying that the likelihood that it's zoonotic, that the virus just comes out of nature is one in eight billion. So then the opposite well, is that. Yeah. Since then, I've expanded my calculations and I've determined now that um the actual odds of it coming from natural zoonotic spillover is one over 10 to the 114th power, which is way bigger than 8 million. So to me, it's, what, it's a done deal. What data factors lead you to that conclusion? Like yeah. to that? Well, I have a habit from my physics background of, of reasoning things out from first principles. And one of the first principles that you have to consider when you figure this out is the order of the steps that must occur if it does come from natural zoonotic spillover. In other words, the without reading all the steps, there's seven steps. It has to um, exist in a reservoir host first, and that's the horseshoe bat. Then that bat has to shed the virus. The humans have to come in contact with the sheddings. Uh, the virus has to have a spike protein that has mutated enough to get into human cells. Remember, there's ACE2 receptors on all animals, but they're a little bit different. So there needs to be some mutations for it to be able to get into human cells. And then once it gets into human cells, the um, viral load has to be sufficiently enough such that a human can transmit it to another person, okay? When you look at the facts of this virus as it appeared in Wuhan, there's a step that's missing in the natural zoonotic spillover. Um, without getting too mathematical, and I should have probably written this out because it's fairly easy to understand if you write it out, but let me explain it. Um, there has to be a time when the virus can get into human beings, but the humans cannot spread it to each other yet. Um, most viruses that we encounter in life will make the people sick, but the, peop the individuals that get sick cannot spread it to another person. Like there's a 
a virus called Hantavirus in the southwestern United States. It has a 40% mortality rate. And every year, some people die of this virus um, because they get it from mouse urine, okay? They just come in contact with mouse urine somehow, and they get sick and they die, 40% of them. But if that was ever transmitted from person to person, like SARS-2 was, it would be a disaster. You know, we'd lose almost half the people in the United States. It's, it would be that big of a problem. So there has to be a period in natural zoonotic spillover where the virus can get into a person, but it can't be transmitted to another person yet. That requires about 11 more mutations in precise places. Um, in the case of SARS-2, as soon as the virus appeared in the population in Wuhan, it was able to go from person to person. So it missed that step that where it could infect a person, but a person couldn't infect, infect another person yet, okay? That step is missing in SARS-2. And the reason it's missing is because it was made in a lab. And they did not, and as soon, they, they created it in such a way that it would be able to go from person to person immediately. And that's what it did. So to, to prove it, where I got the 10 to the 114 power is, um, we went back and look at, looked at samples of people who had a respiratory illness um, before the virus was discovered. And that would normally be the period when people got sick, but they couldn't transmit it to each other. We found 9,000 samples of people that had a flu-like illness or a SARS-2-like illness, a COVID-like illness. And we expected 250 of those to be from SARS-2 and 8,750 from the flu, okay? Because you couldn't really tell them, tell them apart at first. But it turns out of all the 9,000 samples, there was not a single one that came from SARS-2. So there was never that period where it could go from the bat to the person or the intermediate host to the person and make the person sick but not go on to another person. That was entirely missing. And it turns out the chance that when you expect 250 occurrences out of 9,000 and you get zero, the odds of that are 7.7 times 10 to the minus 114. So that, that's why I say that there's that much chance that it came from a lab. It's a little bit of a long explanation, but that's all correct. But it's still a matter of dispute. Like there's still confusion, there's misinformation, disinformation about where this this virus, you know, originated from, a cover-up. So, and you mentioned this in your book, very important to get people on the record. But so you were right there at the beginning trying to get information out, trying to uh, explain things to people and were censored, right? So you yeah, were right censored. at the beginning. And I, I'm a very mathematical person, so I don't like to um, make any claims on my um, videos or posts that I can't prove myself. So that's why through all this time, I don't think I've been wrong on anything. And you know, that's when you have something that the likelihood is one to the one over 10 to the minus 114, or one over 10 to the 114th power, it, that's epistemic proof that it, it occurs. So, um, I'm totally confident. I don't think there's any controversy anymore. It definitely came from the lab. Came from a lab. So definitely. this is a kind of the original COVID, not the shot, is some kind of gain right. of function. 
virus. Oh yeah, and we also have, we've looked into the genome now and there's so many things about it that um, support my claim and other people's claims too. I think at this point, you know, I'd be, I, I almost, well, I guess I would believe any evidence that comes out, but I haven't seen a single bit of evidence that indicates that it came from natural zoonotic spillover. And we've got insertions into the genome of SARS-2 uh, the furin cleavage site is, uh, is one that people understand. It's uh, an insertion that's in there that has um, some characteristics that indicate that it was put in there by man, not nature. Um, there's a lot of probability stuff going on here because, um, you know, the genetic code has, has four letters in the alphabet, adenine, guanine, cytosine, and uracil in RNA. And... Um, if you have, well, without getting too mathematical again, the odds that you get a bunch of mutations in precisely the right place are just astronomically unlikely, okay? And we use that a lot when we, we talk about whether or not this came from a lab. Right, and there's stories of inserts, so it's not just the furin site, but there's right, also there's a, yeah. Exactly, there, there are other um, inserts that should not be in there. And there's questions of some of these inserts have sequences that were patented three years earlier and all kinds of strange things that are going on. Uh, there's just overwhelming evidence that it, that it was manipulated in the lab. Let me, let me say it that way. And that's using CRISPR technology. Is that correct? Or uh, what, how are they getting this virus to well, it be engineered? Be. They, they can also do serial passage through uh, cell lines. Um, there's some tricky... Um, molecular biology that goes on but you can you can get these um viruses sent through cell lines and they and they rely on random mutate remember mutations are copying errors that's all they are um if we talked about the um physiology of how a virus infects a cell um you know the the, the virus capsule attaches to the cell and injects the messenger rna inside and that hijacks the uh, replication machinery and one of the first things it does is starts making copies of itself very, very fast. And of course, it's imperfect. So there's a lot of copying errors. So those mutations are kind of random copying errors. Um, so if you pass it through enough cell lines, you're going to get some of the, eventually you're going to get some of the mutations that you want to get for certain things to happen. It's the best way to say it. And so people would keep those mutations. Yeah, you let nature do its thing as it passes through the cell lines. Right. But you, so, and I, I, just to complete the picture there, nowadays, you know, you can order a sequence of nucleotides from a catalog. So you can insert these things in there yourself, too. So there's a lot just, of different ways to get these things in, in the to change the viral genome. Yeah, it's very interesting. I mean, it's cutting edge. I remember watching a video when Luc Montagnier was still alive, and he said that this particular virus... I was put together with the uh, careful nature of a watchmaker or something like he thought that. Yes, right. Uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Who was who also was very involved in the whole HIV research as well. So oh, yeah. yeah. So that's back like March 2020. You're getting stifled by big tech. Nobody. I yeah. mean, and there was massive terror. I mean, you talk about the videos from China and what uh, uh, the kind of bombardment of people being really afraid of this virus, right? 
Yeah, the, the, um, the very first thing I put up here, even before we start talking about physics and mathematics a little bit, is um, China's role. Chi I called it China's curious role. I think it's the next, in the next, about two slides from here. Do you want me to do, uh, it? Do want to do it? Yeah, we could talk about it. So I just wanted to show what the book is. You know, it, it's, it's a collection of lists, and I put the pictures of the heroes or the villains there. And then I list, I, I describe why I listed them where I listed them, what they did positively or negatively. So that's sort of what the book is. And there's some other parts in it. Albert Einstein gets in there in one section. And um, I wrote a, a scene from a movie in there just to sort of give, it, give something different for people to read um, instead of list after list after list. But primarily it's about 75 lists of either hero, heroes or villains and um, with their pictures above at the top. So, and, um, yeah. oh, so well, it's just interesting too, because at the intro, you mentioned, before we get into it, you mentioned the 1976 Fort Dix yeah. flu and why that was important. Can you mention why that event should have been handled differently and, and what the uh, ramifications were to our current oh, Absolutely. That was a situation where the medical authorities, if you will, the people at the CDC jumped to ridiculous conclusions and put everybody through a vaccine program that caused a lot of death. And just to review for everyone, in 1976, some soldiers at Fort Dix in New Jersey became very ill with a flu-like illness. And uh, their samples were sent to a lab nearby that handled Fort Dick's uh, medical laboratory work. And the, the result came back um, equivocal. You know, they weren't sure what it was. So they sent the samples to the CDC and they said that it was a swine flu. And just based on that, um, they put us through a vaccination program and there's a lot of details that people can get when they read that preface about switching the actual vaccine that was used on people. They ran the first one through clinical trials and then they didn't even run the one through that they used on the people. And, you know, three people died of a heart attack from the same clinic in Pittsburgh. And a lot of people got Guillain-Barre syndrome from the vaccine. And finally, um, a few months afterwards, they stopped the vaccine rollout. However, a bunch of people had died. 300 and something people had gotten Guillain-Barre syndrome, which is a paralyzing neurological deficit syndrome. But it turns out that when you look over the entire world, not a single person, not even one person, had confirmed swine flu. So they put us through a vaccine uh, program without any evidence that anyone in the world actually had the disease. It's hard to believe it. It's absolutely true. Mike Wallace did a, a, a 60 Minutes um, episode on it, and he interviewed the director of the CDC. And I, boy, it was I've never seen so much obfuscation in my life, them dodging the questions and everything. It was a terrible thing that was done. A lot of people died. So this, this issue of manipulating the or taking advantage of the people um, by the medical authorities is not brand new. This is not the first time it happened. So, right, um, and it's that, similar. You you have yeah you have the bullet points of like similar events in lack of informed consent, 
switching yeah. formulations. Like there's a allegations in this COVID situation that the formulations have been different, different lots. I think Yeadon, who yeah. you co-wrote this book with, yeah. is one of the primary people who found that out, that the lots are different, the batches are different, which is totally strange. Yeah, Dr. Um, he's been a, a just an incredibly important person in the history of this. Um, he's very brave. He speaks his mind. He, I've ranked him number one there in that list of 31 physicians slash scientists most brave and challenging the narrative. And he deserves to be number one. He's he's been amazing. And he, I asked him just for a contribution of a list, and he sent me two chapters, which I put. Um, after my initial uh, group of lists are listed. And he's just fabulous. And I really encourage everyone to get the book and just read, read his two chapters um, and you'll get a tremendous overview of what happened. And he was an exec, right? He was an exec with Pfizer. Yes, he, was, he was a Pfizer vice president for a great number of years. And then he split off to start his own company, which he later sold. So he knows the actual individuals that were involved in this and he names them, you know, he's, he's been very upfront about everything. And he, one thing about Dr. Eden is um, it hadn't just been the science that he's been on top of. He, he suggested early on that there was a lot more to this with vaccine passports and control of the people. I hadn't really thought of that. I was just strictly going by all these claims that were being made that were incorrect. That's sort of how I got involved in it just mathematically incorrect. And, um, but he, he understood very early on that they were gonna try to have everybody have a vaccine passport, restrict their movement and so forth. So he was really, really on top of this. I think he saw it like as like a international kind of manipulation using this as an yes. excuse. Yeah, he saw it very, very early. I remember watching him a few times and going, wow, really, are they really doing that? You know, I was kind of shocked to, to hear it, but turns out he was absolutely right. Yeah, and he's in the UK, and he's, you can see interviews of him. I've posted interviews, snippets of his from that have been on Twitter. So he's a yeah. very important figure and features in your book, too, um, like you said. Um, so that's it. But you also had a family friend whose son was injured with the shot. Can you talk about that? Yeah, I have a business partner who is a wonderful person. And her son was equally wonderful. He was a computer whiz and in his early 30s. And he um, ran into some very severe deficits after getting his booster shot two weeks after. And he needed open heart surgery. He needed uh, five bypasses on his coronary arteries. He got multiple strokes. Um, and this is typical of what happens to people that do suffer the bad pathology from this. They get um, a lot of coagulation that occurs and clots get thrown. And in his case, it was the middle cerebral artery to get detailed on it. And he, you know, he's paralyzed on the right side of his body and he's can't speak and everything. It's been terrible. Was he in the States or was he overseas? Yeah, he's in the States. He's in the States. And there was like, I posted this one video where the lady was asking her audience, is anybody here know somebody who's been injured? And everybody put their hand up. So everybody in her audience, and it was like an audience of 100, everybody knew somebody, if not themselves, who've been affected by this 
dangerous yeah. rollout, John. Yeah. Dr. Steve Kirsch, who was actually in my class at MIT. Oh, wow. And others, yeah. And others. I didn't know him then. I was a physics major. He was computer science. Um, but anyway, we've, we've become friendly now. He, he and others are, are documenting and quantifying the number of people that have been injured from this. And it's extensive, much more than, than people realize. There's been numbers handed around that are talking millions of injuries, not, you know, tens of thousands. Not It's unlike anything in any sure. future bears. Yeah. 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 No question about it. Yeah. And they're covering it up. So there's another doctor. I follow Kirsch and uh, he's from my hometown. And he actually went to the house of the lady who okay, was on the panel of 15 who okayed the child, the addition of this shot to the child vaccine regimen in October 20th. She wouldn't answer him. She called the cops on him. So she didn't have enough confidence to get out and say, hey, we're doing the right thing for the kids. I can tell you right to your face. She avoided Kershaw too. He's very courageous to his credit. Yeah, he is. He's another guy that, well, he's listed there. Um, I can't see the photos too well, but he's on there. Um, and he deserves to be. He, um, He's been very brave. Now, he was someone who actually got the vaccine at first. He, he changed his mind on it. At first, he was sort of taken in by all the hype. And then he realized later that too many of these acquaintances that he had were getting very sick from it. And that's when he, um, and I think a couple of them died. So that's when he sort of changed his tune and looked into it. And of course, he's a, he's a real smart guy. You know, he's a tremendously successful entrepreneur. He, he's the guy that invented the um, optical mouse. Remember when, when there used to be a ball underneath the mouse when you moved it around? Now it has old a light. to remember that. Yeah, he's he's the inventor of that thing. Um, and many other businesses he started. He also started InfoSeek, which was a search engine way back at the beginning. If you remember that name, InfoSeek, that was his, his creation also. So he's, he's a very sophisticated guy, and he really knows how to get things done. And he's been really helpful. Um, Let's see. I was going to say something else, and I kind of forgot. I'm getting to that age. Well, Kirsch, Kirsch is really an important figure, and he's doing a yeah. lot of work, getting a lot of research, a lot of interviews, collecting, compiling information, talking to a lot of people, and really being active. He actually put up two billboards in front of the CDC. One is saying, why didn't the injury warning get triggered? Because there should have been an injury warning with oh, all sure. these people triggered. And then I forgot what the other billboard was, but yeah, but I credit I, I, you know, yeah, I just remember what I wanted to say, and that was we can't get anybody to debate us on this. Kirsch has even put up millions of dollars um, to anyone who's a middle manager or higher at the CDC or anywhere just to come and debate the issues. And the reason that popped back into my head is last a little over a year now, about a year and a half ago, I gave a bunch of live lectures on this in Jacksonville, Florida, where I'm from. And um this was right when they were trying to push vaccine mandates on children. That was a big issue then. And I challenged 16 pediatricians who had come out in favor of vaccine mandates for children to a live debate, just so young mothers and family could learn about this, you know, from both sides. And none of the 16 agreed to debate me. And I've had trouble getting anyone from the other side, if you will, to, to discuss any of these issues with me publicly. Um, even privately, they, they try not to discuss it. It's a really big problem. We need to openly discuss all of this kind of stuff. And um, 
quote, the other side just refuses to do it, which is a big problem. It's a problem and also very telling. Like if you can't uh, justify your position in public, there's that's uh, that's a big, huge signal, a huge red flag. Absolutely. If you're going to subject six-month-old babies to a vaccine mandate, you have to be willing to justify your claims in a debate. And no one's willing to do it. It's very, very odd. And there's some of the stories are, there's going to be a uh, fertility dip worldwide and definitely in the United States. And some of these stories are horrifying because they said it was safe and effective. Walensky, who's yes. a, in your book, said it was safe and effective for pregnant women. And they're having strokes in utero. There's a very important doctor people should check out. It was just with John, Senator Johnson two days ago in his uh, meeting. His name is Thorpe. Right. And they're having strokes. The babies are having strokes in utero. Yeah, it's really Stop bad. the shots. Yeah, the shops have to stop. actually need to stop this. The, the, um, the number of heartbreaking um, complications from this thing just continue to grow. Um, you know, at first we learned about myocarditis, and certainly there's a very strong signal there. But now I'm hearing about brain inflammation and these outrageous numbers of miscarriages that are occurring and stillbirths and everything. It's, it's really a problem. It needs to be looked into and stopped, I think. Um, so, um, oh, hey, there's someone from Jacksonville there sending us a message. Yeah, the stop the shots is now a hashtag on Twitter. People check out stop the oh. shots. There's a lot of people saying that. A lot of doctors are getting more and more courageous. Not all the doctors were courageous. You actually no. write in your book. Yeah. You indict a million doctors for not coming forward. And yeah, I do because, well, there's there's three levels on which this can be looked at. You know, are the people do the people know that these things are bad and they pushed them anyway, which would be an evil thing? Did they not know about it? Um, which would be um, ignorance. And then the third is knowing but not doing anything about it. And I just came out and called them cowards because if they're trying to protect their position or their bank account or whatever, and they know that this kind of harm is being done to innocent people, including children, you, gotta, you have to be willing to call them a coward. You know, doctors aren't gonna be hurting for money anytime soon. So the fact that they would protect their position or their income is to me an outrage, you know, over this. Especially when there's like the Hippocratic Oath, do no harm, these types of right. things. These are harming people in all kinds of strange ways. There's been like eight sigma increases in cancers, like things yeah, like that. Isn't that amazing? Just, yeah. I mean, um, the all cause mortality increase. Um, having a 10% increase is a one in 200 year event. And there was a 40% increase in the last two quarters of 2021. Just blew me away when I read that. Um, the other thing that's been a little bit shocking to me is how few, how, how many doctors actually think that lockdowns were helpful and masks and a lot of the things that we've sort of proven to have been damaging. Um, I'm a little shocked that the doctors don't understand the logic or something. Can you expand um, on that? Well, you know, you, you, you still get a lot of people um, that believe that um, we should have gone into lockdown sooner or something like that to have done better with it. But you're going to see when I do this presentation today that there, there's a lot of reasons why the United States had ridiculous numbers compared to other places. And uh, I'm, I'm going to make a very strong case that 
there are reasons other than what the government did, for example, that caused those numbers to be so high. I mean, as far as managing the, the virus, the government did a lot of stupid things, like gave perverse monetary incentives to call everything a COVID death, things like that. But as far as trying to manipulate a virus, the virus is kind of going to do what it's going to do without, no matter what humans do, except there are ways to, for an individual human to improve his chances. First, to reduce his chances of getting it. And second, to do better if he does get it, uh, which we can talk about. But, um, you know, everyone tried to turn this thing into a political issue very early, maybe to make Trump look bad because it was an election year or something. But Trump really didn't have any control over what the virus was going to do. N nobody really does, you know. It's going to do what viruses do. It's going to spread through a population. Uh, lockdowns are, are the opposite of what should be done. And I have a slide to prove that or to explain it um, in a couple slides here. And it just, it just got to be ridiculous how the politics got involved in this. And it's a real straightforward science thing that we were, we were correcting the experts on at the very beginning. Dr. Levitt of Stanford University is a Nobel Prize winner also did calculations based on the cruise ship early on. And he, he and I came up with almost the same value. I think his was maybe 0.2% for the infection fatality rate and mine was 0.1 because we made different assumptions on the distribution of older people on the cruise ship versus the general population. That's where our differences came in. But as far as our calculations, they were the same. Interesting. And you weren't the one, you didn't get that news out. You mentioned this guy Ferguson who said it was going to be like, yeah. you know. Yeah, the, there's a, a modeler from, from Great Britain named Neil Ferguson. He's a very intelligent guy. I've seen a lot of interviews with him. But he, he got it completely wrong. The infection fatality rate and the need for lockdowns and all that. He was pushing for all that. He was completely wrong. But are these, and that goes back to the question, are these people knowingly giving bad information or are they doing it with bad data like that that was the assumption of this whole amnesty thing that came out in the atlanta uh, yeah. is she assumed I'm, I'm, people had goodwill they'd assume and that might not be the case that's right um in in ferguson's case he has a history of over predicting the dire consequences of these things by by huge amounts um and he did it again this time. And I guess his, his reasoning is that we don't want to underpredict it because um, people could, could die needlessly without precautions being taken. But I tell you, you can do a lot of damage by overpredicting these things. Look, look at, we went into these lockdowns that the WHO, which is not exactly a right-wing organization, the WHO has predicted that 140 million people are going to starve to death because of supply chain disruptions from the lockdowns. And, you know, I don't know exactly how many people have died of COVID, but with and from COVID, you know, not just because of COVID, but just having COVID when you die, the number is less than 20 million. And probably there've been about 2 million people that have died because of COVID, let's say. So you're comparing 150 million or so to 2 million, so the, the cure was worse than the disease by a factor of 75. I mean, come on. So these people that are over-predicting all this stuff are really doing a terrible disservice to mankind. Um, did they do it with evil intent? 
I don't know. Um, maybe there are some people that are higher than my pay grade that are trying to manipulate populations and certainly putting a mask over everyone's mouth and making them stay indoors and not travel is, is controlling the people. So there might've been forces at work that were doing this on purpose. I don't know for sure, because like I say, it's beyond me. Um, I'm just there. I'm just here really to help people understand the truth about this and to show it mathematically so that there's no speculation on my part. You know, I, I pretty much prove everything that I say. Uh, that's why people have said, oh, wow, you've been perfectly right since the beginning. You know, that's because I make a point of proving everything. So people can see my proof too. And if, if they were to see a problem with it, they would um, mention it to me. I'd go back to my first principles and look at it. But I didn't do it by the data. I did it by reasoning from first principles, we call it in physics. And um, that's sort of my nature anyway, to be skeptical and to go back to the fundamentals and see if everything they're doing makes sense or not. Um, and so that served me very well. That's why I was so early on everything. I've got a slide here and a few slides that talks about these things that I did before everyone else, or I'm the only person that did it. And then the data came in and it confirmed I was right on everything. So. And I think that's part of this whole battle for information, disinformation, misinformation, is that that's kind of the sinister aspect is that they push people like you. And you mentioned some of these nefarious actors with Jokey Zuckerberg, push your yeah. information, the good information out yeah. and replaced it with fear and bad information to make a buck on remdesivir. Whereas you go into ivermectin HCQ. So that to me is prima facie evidence of gaming the system, making money, and increasing harm. The other thing is, is that why, if they just wanted to make money, why don't they just give you a saline shot? Why are these shots hurting people? That's the, that's the thing I want to, you can get all the fear you want manipulation yeah. of all of the agencies. Why are these shots damaging so many people? Some of those numbers well, are incredible. One of the problems is that they, they rushed this thing through. And that was one of my fundamental arguments against childhood vaccine mandates. They wanted to mandate these vaccines in children before e even enough time had elapsed to determine what the long-term side effects were. That right there should have been a stopper. Um, and of course, we're finding out now, and we're only a couple years into this, by the way, we're already finding out some horrible side effects from these things. I mean, I've seen a lot of young men in their early 20s on the soccer pitch that have keeled over and on the basketball court from um, issues with their heart, secondary to myocarditis. So that's well established now that the incidence of myocarditis has gone way up compared to what it normally is in that age group because of the vaccine. But there's a lot of other things that are coming out. I remember sitting next to a lady on a plane, um, which is normally where I have my only debates on this because I've kind of trapped them, um, that told me there's absolutely no effect on reproduction. And I'm thinking, wait a minute now, the sperm counts lower, there's more miscarriages, there's more stillbirths. So I don't know where she's getting her information, but a lot of people are turning a blind eye to it that have like a political reason. And it's just become ridiculous. You know, we need to look at the facts and stop this if it's this dangerous. No, it's true. I mean, they're missing children in, I did a thing on the Swiss case against Swiss medic. Uh, there was a criminal case and they said they're missing 3000 kids this year. So they're normal 
oh, you know, flatlined kill children born. They're missing 3,000 in Switzerland alone. So yeah. it's uh, horrible. It's going to be a disaster. And those people I've studied, I've posted two stillbirths in a row. It's a disaster. Well, it already is. And another thing that, that people need to remember is, you know, there were moratoria placed on anything but emergency surgery. Do you remember that? Yeah, so women who had breast lumps uh, or dysfunctional uterine bleeding, for example, weren't getting worked up. And now they're dying from breast cancer. Because normally when that breast lump was, would be worked up, you would find out that it's carcinoma in situ or something and remove the lump. Well, women lost their jobs. And the way women are with their children, they're, they're much more likely to save their money for food when they don't have a job for their children than they are go to spend $200 at a surgeon's office to get the breast lump worked up. And of course, if they need radiology, it goes into the thousands immediately. So um, it, it's very sad because these people are suffering the consequences now. I'm talking about even people that were scheduled for colonoscopies are now finding out that they have colon cancer that's metastasized to the liver. Uh, because two, two years ago, they didn't get their colonoscopy because they were afraid to go to the hospital because the thing was hyped up so much. So there's going to be a lot of extra death just from that, let alone the starvation from the lockdowns. Right. So it's like global cataclysm, like just incredible. No, just, it, it, just, it was such a disaster. When I wrote the, the four um, hosts of the TV shows in, on March 17th, two days after Trump announced we were going into lockdowns. I said, this is going to be a disaster on biblical proportions. So please let me come to your office and explain this. You don't have to put me on TV if you don't want to, but let me just explain this to you. And I just never heard back from him. I guess the screeners never gave him the emails. Um, but I've had trouble getting through to, to people to interview me or anything this whole time. It's like I've been blackballed. I've, you know, can't seem to talk to anyone. I've written all these show hosts and said, can you have me on? I just wrote a book. It's a very unique book. It's interesting. It's kind of an anti-amnesty book. You know, my, my thesis is that these people need to be prosecuted for what they did um, knowingly. And, uh, and, I, and the reason I'm sure that some of it was knowingly is because there were things that were done that any freshman medical student would know were wrong, like discounting natural immunity. When Dr. Fauci and Dr. Gwandi said uh, the immunity that you get from the vaccine is superior to getting the disease and recovering, when your body makes T cell response and B cell response to lots of proteins in the virus compared to one, the spike protein, which is the absolute worst choice for the antigen they possibly could have come up with. And all four vaccine manufacturers did it. So that's almost proof of collusion. If it's a one in a hundred chance and four of them do it, then it's one over a hundred to the fourth power. That's the likelihood that all four of them would choose the worst possible right. protein. You follow me? Yes. I mean, so many things were done that absolutely seals the issue of whether they knew what they were doing or not. That's one of them. That's a big one. And it's you, you go in right at the beginning. If they're not punished, if there isn't some type, I don't think the current DOJ is really the one to do it. But the state, yeah. the state AGs are actually moving on stuff. Fauci was just deposed. Well, it's good to hear that. You know the the point I made with the preface where I said I'm just going to cut to the chase and I described the 1976 manipulation. You know this has been going on for 
50 years. And if we don't start prosecuting the people that are doing this, they're just going to do it again. Um, maybe with more confidence next time. If we can't, if we can't prosecute based on what was done with this one, we're never going to be able to do it. So we need to get to work on it. There were people that were pushing lockdowns well after they should have known that they didn't work and that they were very damaging and they were pushing them still. And I'm not talking about just some garden variety doctor down the street. I'm talking about people that are very high ranking in the three letter agencies like Dr. Walensky at the CDC and stuff. I mean, come on. And another thing that I'll, I might talk about tonight a little bit is this issue of the vaccine not blocking transmission. The rollout was on December 14th, 2020 for the vaccine. And by January 15th, which is exactly one month later, I had already figured out mathematically, and I use calculus for it. I'll explain it a little bit tonight, uh, that I had already figured out that the vaccine was not blocking transmission. Now I used Israel data because the people in Israel were more efficient at getting the shots into the arm. So their data was the signal was coming out clearer from their data before in America. So by literally by one month, less than one month in the case of Israel, because their rollout started on December 20th, 2020, I had already proved that the vaccines were not blocking transmission. And I got a lot of flack from doctors and statisticians saying, oh, you could not possibly have figured it out that early. And but I did. And it, my reasoning was perfectly sound. And I'll, I'll go over it a little bit uh, tonight with you guys this morning for me, but not for you guys. Um. <laughs> it's the evening here. I mean, at least in the Pacific coast, it's late on the East coast, but the, what your thing is, is that the vaccine didn't stop the transmission. I mean, there, there was the right. statement by the Pfizer executive that Borla sent to the EU. She said, we never tested for transmission. But, yeah, no, isn't that amazing? I mean, if yeah, no, it's a vaccine. You want to know two things, basically. Number one, is it going to keep me from getting the disease? <laughs> you know, um, and number two, uh, is it safe? And so it looked like they hardly tested either one of those. You know, the list yeah. of, of complications that came out when they finally had to divulge their data. Remember, they they had to go to court. They wanted to block it for seventy five years. Remember all that. And they were forced to do it. A judge forced them to, <clears throat> excuse me, to release the trial data. And there's page after page after page of complications they encountered. Right. Amazing. And even the V-safe data, uh, Bolensky tried to cover up the V-safe data, and that was got, and that showed seven percent of the people got injured or needed medical attention. And of right. those, seventy-one, seven percent went to the hospital. It's off that, the that charts. Enormous percentage that's right i mean she knew that in june 2021 i know and so she was collecting that, that data yeah the other thing that blows me away about dr Walensky and dr fauci is i had proved that the vaccine um did not block transmission on january 15th of 2021 and even by july they're still saying if you get the shot you're protected. You can't get the disease. And Biden is saying it in August, and it's getting on to be almost a year since I proved it. And I couldn't get anyone to, to listen to me. I mean, I put videos out about it. I'll show you some screenshots tonight that show you the dates on it. But golly, I mean, what's going on? Now, the medical um, public at large, I'm talking about doctors, scientists, and everything, they didn't really get it until April. And um, Dr. Bhattacharya, who's been nice enough to to discuss a lot of this with me, 
um, was very skeptical when I told him that I had figured it out in January. So in our last meeting, our last talk, which is from a couple of weeks ago, I showed him how I did it. And um, it was a nice discussion I had with him because he, he still was a little skeptical, but I had the screenshots, thank God, to prove that I had done it. So, um, I mean, it is remarkable. Like, you just kind of, and the, the train is still going down the track. They're still pushing the jabs. The uptake is very low. And that's even another scandal of itself is that there have been huge pur purchases in the EU of like $5 billion for these shots that only 10% of the population wants. So they're, there's this huge uh, misallocation of funds. And that's another issue that you bring up is the misallocation of funds, the increase of inflation is a form of theft. And that's what they did over the last couple of years. Um, William, I'm sorry. Someone called me on my, my computer here. Sorry about this okay. audience. Okay. And I got over to it and turned it off. That's okay. good. But I don't know how to get back to you. I'm all thumbs with this. Can you hear <laughs> so me? I can, can you hear, hear you? Me? God, okay, you're so... fine. Yeah, don't worry about it. Okay. Um, no, not se not 70%, David, 7%. There were 7% of the injuries of a of a pool of 10 million. So it was 700,000 people from the V-safe data that the government has, which they actually structured the V-safe data to not have reports of myocarditis, pericarditis, strokes. So they knew they didn't want people to even report that to the CDC. So she's a right, monster. Yeah. So is Redfield too. Redfield, she took yeah, over. Redfield right. was all wrong on everything too. I mean, golly, I'm 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 proud of writing this book and naming the names and and explaining why they're in the list. Um, and I really want to get this into as many hands as possible because there's going to got there has to be some public outcry about this for the prosecuting side of life to get involved in this and look into these things because. This is going to go on and on and on. It's already going on for 50 years. We need to stop this because innocent people are getting killed over these things. And why are they doing it? Like part of it's money. Part of it, it it's, it's in line with the um, goals of other factions in the world, possibly. Again, it's beyond me to know um, who is behind all this. I think Dr. Eden would be a better person. He's certainly thought it through better than I have to find out who's behind all this idiotic um, stuff that we're allowing to happen to innocent people. I mean, this has to stop. This is ridiculous. You know, we got, we got myself in January, the rest of the medical community in April, proving that the vaccines aren't blocking transmission. Then we got Fauci and Walensky in July, still saying that if you get the vaccine, you're a dead end, you know, and, and, and uh, the lady on MSNBC, um, Rachel Maddow, supporting them, saying the same thing. Golly, I, I wish she'd have had me on once. I could have said, no, that's not correct. And here's why. And I can show you that the vaccines are not blocking transmission. So just getting the vaccine does not keep you from getting the disease. That, that, that and another thing that I figured out first, which was that we reached herd immunity for the Wuhan strain on January 11th um, in combination would have made people realize, why am I getting this vaccine? It doesn't block transmission and it doesn't help the world get herd immunity. So why would I get it? And then a lot of people would not have gotten the vaccine and it would have saved another hundred million lives if that many end up dying from it. I'll tell you, it's a lot of people 
in the United States for sure have died of this already. Uh, yeah. Kirsch and those guys say it's over a million already, and that's just the United States. So right. multiple millions have died of the vaccine already, and um, it needs to stop. Have you seen the Hall? I agree. Have you seen the Halligan analysis? His stats. He's no, uh, Halligan. Halligan, yeah. He's uh, extrapolated all the information from the U.S. and the EU, which is, I think, one eighth of the population of the world, and then extrapolated that to the world population because so many people have taken it. Five billion. Oh yeah, right, um, exactly. And he yeah. says it's twenty million dead from the shot, and okay. uh, hundreds of millions injured. So it's a huge number of injuries. Here. Huge number, and it's only beginning, you know, really. Um, we, Like I said before, the WHO predicted the number of people that would um, starve because of the supply chain disruptions from the lockdowns at 140 million initially. It may have come down a little. But also you got the people that are dying because of the moratoria placed on non-emergency surgery. And now they're dying of cancer and um, right. other things. Um, in addition to the fact that the, the vaccine itself, according to some of the pathologists like Ryan Cole, is increasing the risk of dying from cancer. So there's all kinds of horrible stuff going on. And that's why we're getting these multiple sigma events in um, all-cause mortality. They're so much higher than they should be, which is very documentable, you know. The, the uh, life insurance executives are coming out and saying, oh, my God, we're seeing a 40% increase in all-cause mortality when a 10% increase is a one in 200-year event. <laughs> you know, yeah, no, just incredible. And then I think they'll never get the – they'll never assess how many people have died from drugs or suicide oh, sure. just because of the problems. I know people that, that the lockdown were tortuous. They hurt a lot of people from that. People in my family too. I mean, oh, I was yeah. locked down too. Like I, yeah. I fell for the propaganda initially. Like now, I'm just totally anti everything they've ever said. But it really makes um, you um, skeptical of anything they say now when you see how totally wrong they were on everything before. Yeah, you know. Um, and Fauci's still lying, by the way. He still recommends the yeah. booster. He knows the booster was only tested on eight uh, rats. But he keeps saying in the emergency, and he actually lied about 1,500 kids dying within the last month. He lied about that. That has been proven to be totally false. This is what Dr. Jessica Rose went through, and all those things where people died from something else. He's They're juicing the COVID deaths. It's off the charts. It's a criminal yeah, act. That these guys have to be stopped. The shots have to be stopped. Yeah. It's terrible. You know, I just mentioned that I proved that the um... – that we reach herd immunity to the Wuhan strain, which is in one of my later slides here, uh, on January 11th, 2021. And of course, all along, all during the fall of 2020, we have all these TV doctors on there saying, we need 90% of the population to be vaccinated before we can reach herd immunity. Remember all that? Mm -hmm. Well, we reached herd immunity without a single person being fully vaccinated. Because the vaccines came out on December 14th, right? Mm -hmm. And it takes three weeks to mount the antibody response from the vaccine. So you got to add three weeks to December 14th. That gets you to January 7th. Then you get your second shot. Remember, it's supposed to come three weeks after the first one. Then you got to wait three more weeks before you're fully vaccinated. And we reach herd immunity on January 11th. So not a single person in the United States was fully vaccinated and we reached herd immunity. 
It's crazy. I mean, they're so wrong about everything. It just blew my mind. That's why, you know, I made these videos and YouTube took them down within minutes. It was amazing. I had, I, I tell this funny, kind of funny story, but um, I made this, this video about the reaching herd immunity on January 11th. And my video was taken down so fast it had four views and two likes. And one of the likes was mine. One of the likes was me hitting like. Wow. So, so here's a question I have for you, doctor. Huh? If you can ascertain that, why can't all of these federal agencies or other people ascertain that same burden? Even the people on, quote, our side, if you will, even those people did not figure this, these things out and still will say, we still haven't reached herd immunity, but they're not thinking it through correctly. I can prove it very easily. I've even got a slide here to show you. Um, and, you know, I just, the, the problem I've had is I haven't been able to get on. Uh, well, I'm very grateful to you for having me on. You're, you're, you are the first person. You're, you and then Ivor Cummins had me on really early, way back in early 2020. And um, he was nice enough to make a video review of my book, too. He's a brilliant person. Do you know Ivor by any chance? I've heard that name. I've heard yeah, that he's, name. He's, he's, he, he's ranked tied for first in my list of best data interpreters with Norman Fenton, Dr. Levitt, et cetera. He interviewed me. We did four hours, and it went on and on. And we went over every aspect of COVID. With Jay Bhattacharya, Dr. Jay Bhattacharya, we did more than 24 hours together. Because we, there's so much to talk about each topic, and I can just talk and talk and talk about it because I've done the calculations and everything. But anyway, um, you know, the, 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 why didn't the, okay, I can see why there would be a reason why the CDC statisticians didn't figure all this out because it sort of goes against the government narrative. But the, the people on our side, the doctors that, that agree now that the vaccine doesn't block transmission, I'm not sure why they didn't figure it out as fast as me, other than, you know, I, I'm the type of person that jumps right into it and figures it out with calculus and everything. And maybe they just didn't think enough data had come in yet. And that's why I was first. But I was first on, on almost everything. I, I, I was ahead of my time. And that really hurt me, I think. You know, it's people just didn't believe me at first. But I was certain I was right because I calculated all of it from first principles. I didn't need the data on a lot of it. So um, you it's want to really move good. to the next slide and see? Yeah, I do. Have? Absolutely. Yeah, I just wanted to um, to talk about what we're going to talk about today. The first thing I'm going to talk about is China's curious role, which I didn't even put on the list. But then we'll do the physics of SARS-2 a little bit, just to get something people give people something to see that they haven't seen yet, maybe. And then another way to explain lockdowns were precisely the wrong thing to do. Then how did I figure out so quickly that the vaccines were not blocking transmission? I'm going to talk about that a little bit and make an analogy with card counting because I used to be a card counter in the casino game of blackjack. And it's very analogous. And then without hype, would this have come and gone without anyone noticing? And I've got a proof of that at the end, or at least a demonstration of why I think it, no one would have even noticed this if they hadn't made such a big deal out of it. But let's, let's go to this. China's curious role. You know, when I started looking into the genetic sequence, and how it had been manipulated to prove that it came from a lab, in addition to my logic about the first principles of the order in which the steps must occur for it to be napozoonotic spillover, I realized that this, this thing was released in Wuhan in August or September for sure. And um, 
why did China wait four months to tell the world? They didn't even announce it until December, if you remember. It was very odd. And then they lied about it being transmissible from person to person, and they got the WHO to echo that. So they were wrong. It was very transmissible from person to person. From the very beginning, we couldn't find a single case out of 9,000 specimens that went to the hospital for a flu-like illness when we expected 250. And the reason we, the reason we knew to expect 250 is we had the example of SARS-1 and MERS. So we knew what fraction in the population would have this flu-like illness due to SARS or MERS as compared to the flu. And of course, the overwhelming majority is from the flu, not SARS. But we knew that. So when we looked for it for SARS-2, we found zero out of 9,000 when we expected 250. And to tell you how I got to 10 to the minus 114, 7.7 .7 times 10 to the minus 114. When you've got 9,000 events and you expect 250 to occur, 250 divided by 9,000 is one over 36, okay? So that means that any time a patient came into one of those hospitals with flu-like symptoms, they had a 35 over 36 chance that it was due to the flu and a one over 36 chance that it's due to SARS-2. So the way to calculate the likelihood that you'd get zero out of 250 is to multiply 35 over 36 by itself 9,000 times. Okay, because each event is a 35 over 36 chance. And for all the events to come out to be flu and not any of them to be SARS-2, it's 35 over 36 times 35 over 36 times 35 over 36, 9,000 times. And that comes out to 7.7 .7 times 10 to the minus 114. <laughs> see where I got that number? Yes. All right. Um, and then let's see. China lied about it being transmissible, which is very odd. They knew that. And then they put out fake videos showing people collapsing in the streets. Do you remember those videos? Yeah, I saw all of them, yeah. You thought, weren't they incredible? I mean, every yeah, time the people terrible. fell down, they put their hands out to guard their head from hitting the ground. And that's not what happens when people collapse. If you've ever seen someone collapse on the basketball court, it's very hard to watch. Their head goes right down and hits the, hits the floor without any guarding. They go right down and their head just bounces on the floor. It's very, very hard to watch. So those videos from China were all fake. But what's interesting is it fooled a lot of people. Um, I went back and looked at the comments from those videos right after they occurred, you know, before the people came out and said, oh, this is fake, something's wrong. And everyone's going, oh my God, look at that. I'm scared, it looks terrible. So it did serve its purpose to scare everyone. So you gotta start wondering why China put out that fake video they're still yeah. putting them out till today. They're still putting out those fake videos or whatever stage know, videos. Or this, really. they, they, they went into lockdowns in Wuhan and the Hubei province, which is a province in which Wuhan is located. Okay, They did lockdowns, very strict ones. And then when they were over, they allowed photos to be released of the city of Wuhan having these enormous fountain pool parties. See those pictures down at the bottom? Mm -hmm. And they've got an entertainer there and the one on the right entertaining the people. He's a comedian or something. And they're all swimming in the, in the same um, fountain together in bathing suits, shoulder to shoulder. So, you know, even if you think that lockdowns work, which they don't, 
they don't cure the disease. They just separate the people. So the rate of transmission slows or something, right? And yet China is going to allow everyone to be shoulder to shoulder right after the lockdowns are over. So they released these pictures on purpose to show the world that the lockdowns worked. They were trying to prove to the world that the lockdowns work, hopefully encouraging everyone in the world to go into lockdowns so that they could be the only country in the world that kept their manufacturing open when we shut it down in the rest of the world. Then all the shipping lanes had to be rerouted and they benefited tremendously from the business end of it. You follow me? Yes. So I think China kind of did all this on purpose. The the videos of the people falling over, then the lockdowns, and then these pool party pictures that they released to show that the lockdowns worked. Everybody believed them. They went into lockdowns, and then they cleaned up. If you know, yeah, it's I mean. fourth or fifth generation warfare. It's a form of warfare. Yeah, it is. It's it's they just sort of outsmarted us or something. I wish they'd asked me. I mean, that's incredible. I mean, so, if you have a long term, if you have a long term agenda like China, and you read Sun Tzu, then you can win a war through other means than actually having to fight a war. You can backdoor nanotech into uh, a shot that even the people who are administering the shot have no ideas there. So some of yeah, these they, other administrators are getting the stuff manufacturing from China. Do they really know what's in the shot? They could just say, oh, well, you, I, just like you said, it got switched out back in 76. Who's to say the Chinese aren't switching it out? That's another issue. I don't know anything about that. And again, I like to be very careful when I make a claim that I can prove it. So I agree. I'm just asking that question. Yeah, I'm exactly. As long as you say, look, I'm speculating or I'm asking a question, I'm that's fine. That's not claiming anything. And we all should think about these ideas you have. Uh, so it's good to ask the questions. So the only reason I said that is because I, I can't confirm that one way or the other because I don't, I don't know. Again, my, my, my bet is to find the mathematical errors in what people are saying or to figure out things earlier because I've looked into it and just do my best to help educate the public. That's been my, my thing. So anyway, um, moving on to the next slide here, I will get into a little bit of the physics of this thing because people um, may not have heard this before. I haven't seen it anywhere else, but of course I thought of this initially and it led me to a lot of very important conclusions. Everyone knows what the electromagnetic spectrum is. Um, you know, it goes from radio waves where the wavelengths are very long all the way to gamma rays where they're very short. And what's interesting is all of these types of radiation are the same. They just differ in wavelength or consequently frequency, okay? They're all alternating E and B fields, okay? Which is depicted in this picture. But the visible part of the spectrum that we can actually see is a tiny little sliver of the entire electromagnetic spectrum. Now, isn't it interesting to know that radio waves and X-rays and ultraviolet and microwaves that run your microwave oven are all the same thing. They just differ in wavelength, in addition to visible light. So that's, that's kind of interesting, isn't it? Mm -hmm. um, but I just wanted to show that the visible region is a very narrow band, and it runs from 400 nanometers in wavelength at the ultraviolet end and 700 nanometers in wavelength at the red end of the visible spectrum, okay? And the virus diameter is only 100 nanometers. It's not even in the visible spectrum, okay? So it's invisible. So 
it's truly invisible, not some hocus pocus definition of invisible. This means that you can, if you look at it under a light microscope, it doesn't matter how much you magnify it, you won't be able to see it. Okay. That's, that's very important in the history of this because when people can't see something, they fear it more. Okay. This is why we always have trouble explaining nuclear energy to people that, that think it's dangerous or scary or something. Okay. So let's, let's go on to the next slide and it will kind of bring it all together. Um, these, this is the SARS-2 virus with all the spikes on it. And you might say, wait, you just told us it was invisible. Now you're showing a picture of it. This is an electron micrograph. This is not a, a um, picture that was taken with a light microscope. Okay, you can't take a picture with a light microscope. It's invisible, but it's visible to an electron micrograph. Okay, so just to go back to the previous slide, just to bring it all together, an electron, when you calculate the wavelength of an electron by the de, Bro de Broglie wavelength formula, it comes out to be one nanometer. Okay, not 400 nanometers up to 700, it's one nanometer. So you can get a picture of the virus with the electrons, but you can't get it with visible photons. Okay. Uh, I hope people are finding this interesting and not just going, oh my God, stop talking about this. So let me make it short and sweet. Think of, think of it this way, um, if I can make a, a bad analogy. If you had a house key in your hand and you wanted to get a picture of that house key, you're not going to get a very good picture bouncing beach balls off of it, right? You wouldn't be able to see the little indentations in the key just bouncing beach balls off of it and then collecting the beach balls on a, on a receiver plate. But if you bounce BBs off of it, small little balls like BBs, you know, they bounce off at different angles where the key is shaped, you know, differently. You follow me? So you'd be able to get a little a fuzzy image, but a little image of a key if you're bouncing BBs off of it. So when we bounce these electrons off of the virus and the electrons have a, a de Broglie wavelength of one nanometer, they're going to be able to see something that's 100 nanometers, even a spike protein that's 10 nanometers in length. You with me? Yes. So if you go to the next picture and you figure this, these, these um, spikes are about 10 nanometers, and there's about 10 of them that go across the whole diameter if you were to stretch them out. So the, the diameter of this is 100 nanometers. These spikes are about 10, you know, one, two, three, four, five, and then five more. So you can get a picture of it with a one nanometer electron, but you can't get it, a picture of it bouncing beach balls off of it, which are photons that are too big for it, if you, if you will. You follow me, kind of? Yes, yeah. So, so it's a smaller means get, by which to get a picture yeah, of it. That's right. It's a, it's a means by, of which, by getting a picture. We can't get it visually. Um, in the in the light spec in the light part of the electromagnetic spectrum, the visible part. So anyway, so here you have these things that are colorized. Also, they don't have colors because they're invisible. This has been colorized to make it easier to see. So they made the virus kind of a green color, and and the spikes kind of a yellowish orange, light yellowish orange color. You follow me? Just so we can see mm -hmm. the spikes on the green background. Now, this is a, another electron. Uh, by the way, a lot of people have seen electron micrographs that are gray, right? The whole thing's gray. And that's just because the, the, the electrons bounce off of it and hit a transducer, and they just assign gradations of gray to it. 
So it's a lighter gray if more electrons hit the transducer and it's a darker gray if fewer hit it. And so you get a picture of like the organelles in a cell, which you've seen on an electron micrograph. Right. But gray, they're not gray either. You follow me? That's just something they could have chosen purple, light purple to dark purple. They could have chosen any color to show the picture. But in these, they've been colorized. For example, see, this is a ciliated cell in the lung. And these are all the, the virus particles attacking that cell. Isn't that amazing? No wonder everybody gets sick from this. See it? Yep. So these little orange things they drew, if they hadn't colorized this, they'd be hard to see. So they've colorized this electron micrograph. So that, that's all I wanted to say about the physics of it for now. Right. And we'll get into some math in a second. But this is kind of interesting, isn't it? That the thing's actually invisible, yes. even in the visible spectrum. Okay. So then I move on to something that's relevant to everyone. And this is another way of looking at why putting us into lockdowns was exactly the opposite thing they needed to do. It wasn't neutral. It was worse, worse than nothing. And the data is right there and nobody seemed to notice it, I guess, except me. I don't understand this. I mean, this is way back in um, April of 2020. We could have stopped it immediately. But nobody did. And I'm writing all these articles and they're taking them down. It was driving me nuts and making videos. But look, lockdowns were the exact opposite of what they should have done and caused more death than they saved in and of themselves. Now, I'm not talking about the collateral damage where 140 million people starved to death and people got cancer and everything. Now, let me put my glasses on. I'm getting to that age where I need glasses to see what I'm doing. Okay. So some, some, some statements were made. There is evidence for strong clustering of SARS-CoV-2 infections within households. So all this data started to come out and they still didn't do anything about it. And the people that did worse. Now here's Cuomo, Governor Cuomo on CNBC, trying to justify the data as it came in in April of 2020. And look at this, the patients that did the worst. This is a list of the characteristics of the people who did the worst, okay? And we know predominantly older. We know that mostly older people did worse, right? Right. So that makes sense. But then look at this, predominantly at home. So why would people predominantly at home be doing worse? We just put them into lockdowns and made them stay at home. You follow me? Mm -hmm. Predominantly at home, not working. Predominantly non-essential employees. Remember the essential employees went out to work. And it's the people who are non-essential employees who did worse. You with me, William? Yes. Cuomo's on here trying to justify all this data, and he was in favor of lockdowns. Remember, he's locking all those restaurants in. Yeah. And he's Remember sitting all the data. The data is right in front of him, showing that he's wrong. It, it, it's the people at home who did worse. Now, and so they have this tagline here, stay home save lives. And that's totally wrong. No, 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 no. And even the national, the NHS in, over there in Great Britain did the same thing. Stay home, save lives. No, 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 no. And let me explain it with this little graphic here that I created, explain why that's true. If you have a house that's to perfectly ventilated, all the doors and windows are open, the viruses are just going to sort of sift right through the house. It's going to have the concentration roughly equal to the outside if all the doors and windows are open. But if you've closed the windows and the doors, you've created stagnant air inside the house, right? 
And stagnant air is where the virus will accumulate because it doesn't keep moving. So over time, this is with no one in the house having COVID, you're still gonna have more virus particles inside the house than you are outside. And if I could make a very good analogy to this, suppose you were running a marathon on a 400 meter track, okay? Mm -hmm. And you take 100 of the meters and put four inch sand in it. So all the runners are running on the track 300 meters is hard track surface and 100 meters is four inch thick, deep sand. After about 20 laps, you're gonna have way more people in the sand than you are in any other 100 meter section of the track because they stop and they can move very slowly through the sand, right? It's like stagnant air. So you're gonna accumulate people in, in the sand during the course of the marathon. You follow me? Mm -hmm. And that's what happens here with houses. They're creating stagnant air. There's no one in the house that has the disease, but there's way more viruses in there. But down here, I did a depiction in, in D of someone of a house with closed windows and doors where someone actually has the disease and they're exhaling virus with every breath. And it, of course, it fills the house with it. Now, right. did you know that every time you exhale, about 10 million viruses come out of your mouth? That's a lot of viruses, every breath. And so it fills up the house. And this is why putting people in lockdowns and in houses was the worst thing you could possibly have done. They needed to be outside on the beach or shooting baskets or something. And the government locking the doors to the parks and chasing people on the beach to give them a ticket. Did you see that? Yeah, video? they filled up all the skateboard parks here in California. Them so up Remember the trucks would back up and dump the sand in the skateboard. Yeah, absolutely. The, the, the panic was at the was at the highest. They encouraged people to panic. And I'll tell you, out. the degree of stupidity associated with this thing is mind-boggling. If it was stupidity, and, and a lot of it was, I'll tell you, the government people were so dumb about this. They didn't understand it at all. That's why you get a guy like Cuomo coming on TV every night, and he got an Emmy for it, talking right. complete gibberish every night. They did it um, here in California. Newsom got out and just Newsom propagandized. Totally and wrong. apparently the secret is, is that he got vaccine injured. Just not too bad, but he got a little bit of an injury. Yeah, they think he got Bell's palsy, right? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. right. And they but just William, covered up. He disappeared Newsom, for like a week. Newsom, yeah, I know. Newsom, Cuomo, these guys don't understand it all. But the problem is they thought they understood it. And then they made ridiculous decisions on it completely wrong on everything but one of the things that's very important to realize is that uh texas and florida had completely different policies than new york and california right and i think that's that that's because, so there was options and choice yeah i think that's because um desantis in florida where i'm from realized he didn't really understand this of course because he's not a physicist or a medical doctor with a brain or something. And he got some people to help him understand it. And he did smarter things. Like if you're going to send someone back to a nursing home, designate some nursing homes as people that have COVID already. So you don't infect a bunch of non-infected people like uh, Cuomo and Whitmer and those people in New Jersey and Pennsylvania did, the governors. Anyway, that's a slightly different issue. But the, the NHS in England had it completely wrong. Stay home, stay home, save lives. It's just the opposite. And so did the United States. 
stay home, save lives. Isn't that ridiculous? All right. Totally now, ridiculous. I will totally say this. At the, beginning, at the beginning of this, like in, in March and April of, of 2020, very, very few people really understood why the lockdowns wouldn't work. I mean, even a guy like Scott Atlas, who was right on everything except this one thing, and which I wrote about in the book, said, well, maybe we needed to try the lockdowns because we really didn't know at that point. But actually, I'd already figured all this out from first principles. I didn't need any data. And then when the data came in and the graphs didn't change at all based on when the lockdowns took effect, I knew I was right. The, the, the graphs looked perfectly smooth. They didn't have a jog to a lower slope or any of that. I can't believe it's incredible. It. But I mean, that's the whole thing about the gaming thing is that they didn't care about the data. There was some other ulterior motive. They wanted to sell the vaccine. They wanted well, to get the that, vaccine. That is absolutely true. They certainly had the motivation to control the people and sell the vaccine, but they also didn't understand it. It was like ridiculous. I mean, it's, you know, and I kept putting in these videos out to explain it and YouTube took them down in one second. So I was really hard on Susan Wojcicki and Sundar Pichai, the CEOs of, um, of uh, YouTube and, and Alphabet. I hit them hard in the book and they deserve to be for taking all the videos down. When someone like me who really understood this was trying to help the people understand it and maybe get some something through to the government so they could change what they were doing. Unbelievable. Well, I think we're going to kind of find out that YouTube might have been just like Twitter where somebody from the government called and said, take this video down. It wasn't them well, independently. It must have been. I had to have been on a list at some point because my videos were being taken down in one minute. I put them up. I do a quick screenshot just to prove that I put it up, and then it's gone. And and again, I I did this funny thing. You know, it was one of them had four views and two likes, and one of the likes was mine, and they took it down. Right, right. It was about two minutes into it. It's incredible. Okay. Sorry. So I just proved that the that the lockdowns, in and of themselves, cause more damage than benefit. And that's not including the collateral damage. The, the collateral damage is that 140 million people, according to the WHO, would starve to death. The moratoria were placed on all but emergency surgery. So breast lumps and dysfunctional uterine bleeding were not worked up, which is elective surgery, according to them, not emergency. So those patients are dying now. And then a third of the children didn't go in for their childhood vaccines. I'm talking about the vaccines that are actually helpful, hopefully. Hey, you really wonder after going through this stuff. <laughs> um, people with chest pains are afraid to go to the hospital. Now think about that. You have a chest pain. You need to get to the hospital to get some TPA or something to keep from dying. And they were afraid to go to the hospital for fear of getting COVID, which had a one in a thousand infection fatality rate. And it's almost 50-50. You're going to die if you get a heart attack at home and don't get to the hospital. I mean, come on. You just totally brainwashed everybody. Right. Then, of course, we had half the people stopping chemotherapy that already had cancer and were on chemotherapy. Something like 600,000 people at any time are on chemotherapy in the United States. Half of them stopped their treatment. And then a third of the people, or half of the people, skipped their cancer screening, like colonoscopies and stuff. Incredible. And they, a bunch of them are dying now because of it. So I just listed a bunch of things that I was first on here and there's 17 of them. And I'm not gonna, I'm not going to list all these because, you know, people can back it up and stop the video if they want and read them. But um, I'm writing another book now and it's called If Only They Had Listened. Because I kept 
screaming at the top of my lungs and nobody would listen to me. It was incredible. It was Kafka-esque, you know, the louder you scream, the fewer people listen. So two times I could have stopped this. If, if they had listened to me about lockdowns, they wouldn't have had all those people starving to death. And then I proved that the vaccine didn't block transmission and that we'd already reached herd immunity in mid-January 2021. And people would have thought, why am I getting this vaccine? A vaccine is just a syringe full of side effects if it's not going to give you any benefit. Right. And, you know, we don't know how many million people are going to die from the vaccine. Like the doctor you pointed out that did the calculations and extrapolated, he said 20 million have already died from it. Right. right? Yeah, elegant. Unbelievable. So here's yeah. the, here's one of the killer slides here. And here's my, um, my screenshot showing on January 24th, 2021. It's hard to read. I'm sorry these are so small. There's no way to blow this up bigger, is there? Uh, let me see. Can I do it to... Okay. I'm trying to figure it out. Let me see if I can figure this out. I, mean, I think the I only way is kind of expand expand your uh, browser to cover as much as you can, and it'll increase it. So uh, if you take your browser... I don't know how big your screen is, but you want to expand your browser, go to the very top and hit the green... I have a green button. Hit that little box up at the top. Yeah, line. go enter full screen, and it'll expand Ooh, it. got smaller. Hang on, let me get it bigger again. Let's try to, um, and you can, you can about, go. What about inside my, inside this thing, can I hit um, slideshow where it blows it up to the whole screen? Yeah, yes. You, there, there's a little square box on the bottom. Click that square box. Do you see within oh, the, yeah, yeah, right. yeah, click that square. Oh, yeah. Oh, heavens, we should have been doing this the whole time. Okay. But it's, this is where it's really important because now you've okay. got to look at small graphs. I'm sorry. It's okay. All right, see, I don't know anything. This is one thing I truly don't know anything about. I could use an IT person to help me with all this stuff. But anyway, see this thing here? It says January 24th, 2021. Because I, I used this screenshot to show Jay that I actually figured this out. He didn't believe it at first. Dr. Botticelli. January 24, 2021. I see yeah. January 11th. Yeah, but here is the actual date that I put this video up on YouTube. You see down here, January 24th? 2021. Oh, this, this oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I see it. Yep, I see it. Okay, it's the sorry. actual date of the video. Yeah. And that's and your, that's your, is your, sorry to interrupt, but is your YouTube channel still available? Is Dr. Reed Sheftall, it, it, Truth and Science? Yeah, it's still available, but it's been, it's been um, cannibalized by YouTube, taking all my videos. <laughs> but somebody asked that on the chat. So it's Dr. Yeah. Reed Sheftall, S H E F T A L L. Truth and science, check it out. Right. So there, there's about half of them up still, I think. But anyway, so you see, on January 24th, it's already common knowledge among my viewers. It says, if we can get infected and spread the virus after we've been vaccinated. See, that's a question coming in from a viewer who already knows that I've proved that we can get infected and spread the virus after we've been vaccinated. See, so I'm, I'm showing Jay that, yeah, on January 24th, I'm already answering questions about the thing not right. blocking transmission. Right. And he went, oh, wow. So you have the proof. That? You've got the proof. Yeah, I'd already proved it. And let me just tell you quickly how You already I did. proved it, and you have the proof that you proved it. Absolutely. Everything is proved. Everything. Okay, so what I needed to do, what did I need to figure out that the vaccines weren't blocking transmission? Because all the statisticians say, no, you could not have told until April. And I said, no, I knew it within a month. 
I needed the graph of cases versus time before and after the vaccine rollout and an understanding of how the R value decreases with time. I needed that to figure it out. I mean, the I R value the, is the, yeah, the number infection of value, the, the ability of it to infect people, right? That's right. Like um, if you get the disease, maybe you pass it on to two people before it's resolved in you. That would be an R value of two if it's averaged over all the population, okay? But I had to understand how the R value decreases with time because it has to decrease with time because more and more people out there get the disease. You follow me? So there's fewer vulnerable people to pass it on to. Okay, now looky here. Um, I needed the percent vaccinated versus time and the percent of vaccines that were duds, you know, that didn't work, okay? And I got that information. I needed the fraction of the population. Oh no, I put my thing in front of my own thing that received. <laughs> ah, gosh, how did I do that? That was dumb, wasn't it? I, I, can I make this smaller? No, oops. See, I keep going to this. I'm sorry, everybody. I, I'm messing up here. But anyway, I, for, I forgot what I wrote behind this thing, but it was something else that I needed to prove that they were blocking transmission. And then I needed the demographic. Oh, I, I know what that is the fraction of the population that had immunity in place. And that was a term I coined early on. And these are the people that, the people with immunity in place are people that were protected from getting SARS-2 before it even arrived on our shores. That's why I call it immunity in place. And they, some of the people are protected because they have cross-reactivity with other coronaviruses they may have gotten as a child a common cold virus. You follow me? Because yes. there's a lot of antigens, a lot of proteins in SARS-2 that are also in the common cold virus because they're both coronaviruses. Now, common cold also is caused by adenoviruses and rhinoviruses. But we're talking about um, coronaviruses in this case, right? And this is why some of the people in the nursing home didn't get sick. Think about it. If you've got a nursing home with 20 people and three of them or 10 of them get SARS-2 and they breathe it out 10 million times in every breath in a closed nursing home, it's going to get in the hallways. It's going to get sucked into every room when a door opens. But some of the nursing home residents didn't get sick. Why? Because those nursing home residents had immunity in place. They had cross-reactivity from memory, clonal expansion and memory of B and T cells in their bodies that protected them from getting SARS because they got a, they happened to get the right strain of a coronavirus common cold years ago, and they still had the clonal memory in their body. So they didn't get SARS. That's called immunity in place. You need to know how many people in a population have immunity in place because think about it. If, if somebody has immunity in place, let's say I'm protected and I ne I'm never going to get SARS too because I'm immune to it because of cross-reactivity. If I get the vaccine, and then I don't ever get SARS-2, some people are going to think I didn't ever get SARS-2 because the vaccine worked. But that's not right. true. It's because I had immunity in place. You follow Already me? had immunity in place, right. Yeah. So I, I needed to know that percentage of the population, the fraction of the population that had that in my calculations. You with me? Yes. And then I needed to know the demographics of the rollout. Were they giving it to old people first or the general population? Because the percent with immunity in place varies with age. More old people have immunity in place than a little four-year-old kid who hadn't even gotten the cold yet. You with me? 
Yes. Because he, had, he hadn't gotten all the coronaviruses to protect him yet. So you need to know the demographics of it. Now, I had already figured out that we reached herd immunity on January 11th, 2021. It was a big help because it showed me the rate of spread in the unvaccinated at the time in question. And I can show you how I proved that. I wish I'd made that bigger. But anyway, so I use calculus for this. And as all calculus is for those who never took it, it's the simplest thing in the world. It's when you have a curve, okay? You can have a slope of that curve at any point on the curve, okay? And that's called the derivative of that function there, okay? I'm talking about uh, differential calculus, not integral calculus. That's different. I use that too, but that's different. But for example, when you have two points, you can have a line between the two points and you get a slope. Remember from junior high, change in Y over change in X equals the slope? Yes. The change in the Y value divided by the change in the X value is the slope of the line. But you can do this with calculus and get the slope at any point. And here's the kick. Here's the key money shot here, the thing that explains it. I expected to see if the if the vaccines were working, I expected to see a reduction in that slope on the curve of cases versus time if the vaccine was working. The, this, the, 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 the slope, the derivatives had to reduce in value with time if the vaccine was blocking transmission because there would have been fewer cases per unit time. Right. Yeah, people getting it. You with me? Yes. 100%. Okay. I did not see the reduction in slope to the extent that I expected it if the vaccines were working. So I, the way I did these calculations, I figured out a percent chance that the vaccines weren't blocking transmission based on the lack of reduction in the slopes on the curve. And on January 10th, this is only 20 days after the rollout, I, I calculated that there was a 95% chance that the vaccines were not working. But that's not good enough for me to make a claim, of course. So I waited five more days. And at that point, it, there was a 399 out of 400 chance that the lack of reduction in slope okay, was due to the vaccines not working, a 99.75% chance. And that's when I went ahead and made the claim on YouTube. Right. You follow me how I did that? Yes, I figured I'm there was a lack of a reduction in the slope that you would expect if the vaccines were working. Right. Isn't uh -oh. this your video right here? This is it. Is this the video with these slides? Oh, my God. Um, that's right, two years ago. Oh, oh, now that's my that's my proof that why the why the masks don't work. We flip by that. I didn't even put it in our thing today, William. Okay. People well, I'm scared. just saying people can see your extended analysis. Yeah. Yes. Four oh, hours. You've got it right here. They can check it out on video. your YouTube. I go over it in so much detail that I'm not touching on today because the people will get bored out of their mind. Everybody said, make your video shorter. Nobody wants but this to is also your proof. This is two years ago. You can see it right yeah. there. Yeah, see, it's two years ago. It's yeah. it's in 2020 somewhere. They took this down, and I had to repost it about four times. So the actual date on the thing is later than I did it originally. They kept taking it down, and I wasn't smart enough to get screenshots of it. But um, anyway, I explain everything about it, everything. This is going to be in my next book. It's going to be a 1,000 pages long, which no one will read. I got to do it for myself, I think. 
But anyway, back to this thing. So on January 15th, I had a 399 out of 400 chance that this was due to the vaccines not working, not just random chance. You with me? Yes. Okay. Um, thank you, Fire Pixie. We're not bored. I'll try not to bore you, I swear. Now, when I explain this to scientists and doctors that are very smart, like Dr. Jay Bhattacharya, who's very smart and a great public health guy and all this kind of stuff, they didn't believe that I could figure it out so fast, but they weren't using calculus and determining the reduction in the rate of slope, the second derivative and all this stuff I was doing. That's why they couldn't figure it out. And anyway, let me, let me make an analogy with card counting because card counting is really similar to this. You're familiar with what I mean when I say card counting, aren't you? Right, you're counting back blackjack decks. It's six, yeah. six full decks of cards. Yeah, it could be eight, any number. Um, let me let me let me spend a minute on this because people always write me messages. Please tell us more about card counting when I explain it. When I use it to explain some statistical thing. Um, let's see. Okay, let me go to the next thing. All right, now let me just tell the audience what card counting is. They're going to find this very interesting, and they can do it if they want to. I might even make a full video and explain it. And let people go get some money, but. There's 52 cards in a deck, right? A deck of cards. There's 16 10 valued cards, 10 jack, queen, king, but there's four suits, so there's 16 of them. And there's 36 non 10s, cards that aren't 10. Okay, so that gives you a ratio of 2.25 between non 10s and 10s. 36 over 16 equals 2.25. Now, it doesn't matter how many decks are in the shoe that you're playing with because the ratio is the same. Okay. Eight right. decks. I can do this with eight decks. It doesn't phase me at all. Now, what works in blackjack is every hand that you play depends not only on the randomness of the way the cards are dealt to you, but also on what cards remain in the deck. Because as you've played hands along the way, You've used some of the non-tens and you've used some of the tens, okay? Now, one other thing you need to know is that 10 valued cards help the player a lot and they hurt the casino. So you want a deck with a lot of tens in it. And the reason you want a deck with a lot of tens in it is the player has the option to stand on a bustable hand like 14, but the dealer must keep hitting themselves until they get 17 or higher, then they're forced to stand. That's the rule in blackjack, okay? So if there's a lot of 10-valued cards in the deck, and I know that because I've been tracking them, there's a lot of 10-values left because lots of non-10s have gone by and not many 10s, then I know that when I have 14, I'm going to stand and then let the dealer have a six card up or something, flip over the down their buried card. It's a 10 and then hit themselves with another 10 and they bust. So I get the money. You follow me? Yes. So 10 values help the player. Plus it's good for doubling down and everything. When you have a total of like 11 or 10 or nine, a lot of times you want to double your bet and get one more card. If it's a 10, you got 21 or 20 or something. Okay. So 10 values help on doubling down too. All right. So the idea behind counting cards is you, you've got to memorize a bunch of tables first. And it's hard to memorize. It took me three weeks to memorize it. There's five tables this big. 
And instead of each entry being a word like double or stand or hit or whatever, there's a number in it. And that number is the running ratio of non-tens to tens. And I will hit if my ratio that I'm counting the cards on is lower than the number in the box. And I will stand if it's equal to or higher, for example. So it says your hand, you know, you've got a total of 13 and the dealer has an up card of six, right? Instead of it saying stand in that box, it would have a number. And if, if it's lower than that, you stand. If it's above that, you hit. You follow me? Yeah. So for every single possible, possible thing that can occur in a game of blackjack, I already know what to do. So I don't sit there and ponder over whether I should hit or stand, whether I should double down, whether I should split a pair, whether I should soft double, whether I should surrender. I've already memorized all of that. So we used to, me and this friend of mine that I did it with, who was a physics major with me at MIT, Eric, Eric Short, we would act like we were trying to figure out whether to hit or stand when we already knew, just to make it look realistic. Like most of the players are playing, should I hit? Should I stand? Oh, no. And we knew already we were going to stand, but we were going, should I hit? Oh, God, I think I'll stand. You know, just so it would look like we were normal people. Okay. So you have to memorize one of these boxes with numbers in it. And, and you know, it's hard to memorize that many numbers when there's nothing to it. So we made flashcards for every single possible thing that could happen in blackjack. So we had a shoebox full of flashcards and it said ace four versus an up card of versus a four, which means the deal has an up card of four double or not. And we, we think of the number and then we tell it the right answer. And we learned it by flashcards. In other words, we memorized everything. Okay. Now let me just very quickly, just to tie it all together, take you through one hand and you'll understand it. I'm not going to take you through the whole thing, but just a couple entries. So this is eight decks. And there's 288 non-10s in eight decks and 128 10s in eight decks. Okay. And the ratio is still 2.25, of course, right? All right. That's before we started playing. She just made a brand new thing in the shoot. Okay. So the first hand is the dealer shows an up card of four and I get nine, nine in my hand. Okay. So what should you do with the nine, nine? Should you stand, should you stick with 18? Should you surrender because you think you're going to lose and get half your money back? What should you do? So the first thing you have to ask is, should you surrender? Now the, the numbers are, have changed because they've already played three non-tens. So this is down to 285 now from 288. So that changes the ratio. It's now 2.23. And of course, you have to calculate these ratios in your head. So you got to divide 285 by 128 to the hundredths digit. Which, which sounds hard to do, but believe me, after you start doing it, you get so good at it, you do it like clockwork. Okay, so the, the answer comes out to be no surrender there. So now you've got nine, nine, should you split the nines? So you have to refer to the splitting box in your mind, right? That you've memorized and decide whether with that count of 2.23, should you split nines? And yes, you should split the nines with a count of 2.23, against the dealer's up card of four. So then you split the two nines and you get a nine on one of them and an ace on the other. Then you have to decide, should you split these nines? Because now you've played four more nine tens and you got to subtract. Now it's down to 283. You played two more nine tens. I'm sorry. So it went from 285 to 283. You with me on this? Yes, I'm following you. Yeah, absolutely. And the ratio and the ratio determines whether you do the function or not, either split or double down or 
hit or stand or whatever. So I'm subtracting as all these cards are played and this number's dropping, see? Went from 288 all the way down to 279 just in this one hand. Right. And my my tens went from 128 down to 127. So I only played one 10 valued card in all of this. You with me? Mm -hmm. and I did all these functions, standing, hitting, splitting the nines, doubling down, doubling down on nine ace, et cetera. Now, why would you double down on a nine and an ace? That's already 20, which is a great hand because you want to maximize your money and the dealer's going to bust with an up card of four and a, and a very, very good um, running ratio of 2.19. You follow me? Yes. So you would want to double your money and you go ahead and double, double down on 20 because it's what we call soft doubling. This can count as 10 also. So if you get a nine or a, or a jack or something, you're going to have 20 and you're going to double your money. Anyway, so after you play this hand and you see how it's done, everybody, the total of all the bets on the table is $500 when you're only betting 100 because you kept doubling down and everything and splitting pairs. And the dealer plays her, the dealer has a four, she turns over a three and then she hits herself because she's only got seven. She gets a jack and then she's forced to stand on 17. So I lose the first hand, which was nine, three, four, when it told me to stand on nine, three, four right here. Um, when the system told me to stand, I lost that because that's only a total of 16. She has 17. So she wins that one. Uh -oh. Move space Marine. I can't read. They're, they're joking about Rain Man. They're calling you Rain Man yeah. or oh, counting okay. cards like the moon. Yeah, well, anyway, it's, Rain Man was better at it than I was. Well, anyway. he, was, he wasn't good because he admitted to counting cards while in the casino, though. So yeah, he couldn't amateur. keep the... Uh, yeah, okay. So anyway, you lost that first one. So you lost the hundred dollars on that, but you win the next two doubled hands equals 400. Okay. And so your net for the whole thing is um, $300 you won on that hand. Okay. So that just shows you how to count cards and I could make a whole video and go a little slower and really explain it to people, but that's the idea. Now, here's why I brought up counting cards. Remember, I just told you, I figured out with calculus that the, um, the uh, vaccine wasn't blocking transmission, right? right. Yes. Okay. Now, with, with, with the reason I brought up the card counting is when you go to play in a casino, you have to take a stake with you, a lot of money, because you could still have an unlucky run of cards and it could wipe you out if you don't have it. And we knew that we had about a 2% advantage over the house, over the casino on every hand we played, which actually is a big advantage. When you're counting cards, you have about a 2% advantage over the house. Right, and the time too, right? Yeah. All the time. So, so we knew that if we had a 2% advantage on every hand, we needed to bring two hundred times our minimum bet to give ourselves a 99% chance we would increase our money indefinitely and not have a bad run of cards that wiped us out. And it's the same way with determining whether the um, vaccine is blocking transmission. I did it by the chance that it happened randomly versus because the vaccine, the thing wasn't blocking transmission. And you don't have to have it completely not working. It can work 50% or 70%, but that's not very good. Everybody's going to eventually get the disease if the vaccine only blocks 50% of the people from getting it. You follow me? Yes. Right. So, so this, this is a perfect analogy for the way I figured out the 
um, fact that the vaccine was not blocking transmission. If I hadn't counted cards, I might not have been able to see, see it so quickly, but I used the same logic that I drilled into my head before. And so it worked perfectly. And I was right. You know, as soon as the data started coming out, all these people who had gotten vaccinated were getting sick. And so I, right. Knew, I, knew I was right at that point. But I, figured I know, out- I know, full, I know fully vaccinated people and boosted who got sick of some, something. I don't know. I don't yeah, even so know I'm, if it was COVID. You know, you can't even right. tell if it's COVID. So it's crazy. exactly that. Proves read, that read, read. We are at the uh, minute, one hour, 47 minutes. Do you have time to take a few questions? Before we wrap this up? Yeah, I've got more to show people if they want to see it. But okay, well, let's go. Let's see. What was the question? Do you know you mentioned Zev Zelenko, right? Yes. Um, yeah, he's ranked very high. He, he's ranked he was, very high in your book, right? Yeah, he's ranked high in the heroes list because Dr. Zelenko was brave at the beginning because everyone was telling him he was wrong, and he actually was right. You know, when you look at <clears throat> excuse me, when you look at all of the trials that were done for these things, it's pretty clear that ivermectin and even uh, hydroxychloroquine were beneficial because, you know, lots and lots of studies have been done now. And they're, you know, it's weird. Here we are almost three years into this and only a few of the most recent studies have come out that are making the naysayers say, okay, it does work a little bit, you know, but people like Dr. Zelenka was basing it on his patients that he was taking care of. He had 2000 patients that he was, or something like that, to some thousand number, that he was taking care of with hydroxychloroquine and none of them, all those, were going to the hospital compared to the regular population. You see what I mean? So he was brave and he was correct and he, he actually passed away about a year ago and he got ranked very high on the bravery list. I can't remember where he got it. Right. It's, on there. it's on there. Space Marine asked, Pfizer has literally admitted they didn't even test at the backs stop transmission. Is this proof of fraud that nullifies the immunity agreement, you know? All right. For a question like that, you, you would need a lawyer to know whether it nullifies the immunity agreement. I don't know, but it certainly is disgraceful that they would run a trial on a vaccine and not even check if it worked. In other words, they probably didn't even care if it worked. They just wanted to get them in the arms or something. And they chose a, a primary efficacy endpoint, which is the point at which they say it did something or didn't do it as symptom reduction, which I've read in my longer ones. I read the primary efficacy endpoint. It didn't have anything to do with blocking transmission or preventing deaths or anything. It just was whether it reduced a symptom. It's just absurd. It's really absurd. And there's yeah, other issues. Fraud fraud nullifies all contracts. And there's even elements in oh, their wow, contract. Yeah. yeah, in their contract, there's a clause at the end, if I remember, at least the one contract, I think it was from Slovenia, that came out and it said fraud nullifies any of the agreements within this. So that's well, their only documents. That's there. the case. And fraud means misrepresentation, right? Right. Yeah. So were they misrepresenting what they were selling to people? If, if, if it's inherent in the definition of a vaccine that it blocks transmission, then they were misrepresenting it. Yeah. David, whether or not the virus contains snake peptides. Have you heard that? I heard that from a guy who was a chiropractor. I saw a video on it. I forgot his name. I'm sorry. Um, you know who I'm talking I, about? I know his picture. Yeah, I feel like I've seen um, Brian Arden or something like that. All right. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm butchering his name, but it's, it's that kind of a name. Ardens or Artens or something like that. And I heard him say that, and I don't know anything about that. I'm sorry. 
Yeah, I've heard that same thing. Um, but we're at the one. I got to take off. I'm at the one hour fifty minutes. Yeah, we can run this back a second time. We can do this next Friday if you have more information. Here, if you want to do it again, I'd be happy to to continue on because I yeah, continue on absolutely. Bang them, bang them down. Things left. We should do it again then. We'll come back and we'll cover some of the other stuff. There's a lot of other stuff in the book. People can see the four hour presentation you did at your website. Or YouTube, so I will make a link to that in this show, so people. Can okay, watch. thank you. This this shows you how naive I was when I started. See, it says the title of it is "Stop the SARS Two Stupidity, Please," which I did in 2020. But my first title, which YouTube took down, was called "Stop the SARS Two Stupidity, Doctors, You Are Killing People." <laughs> and so they saw a title like that and pulled it right off. So I wised up a few months later. It slipped through, and now people get to watch it. Well, thanks for sharing all your knowledge. Great book. I highly recommend. You can kind of get an overview survey of what happened over the last two years, kind of into grading. So it's accessible. You can uh, kind yes. of understand what uh, I, I, some of the people's names I didn't know. Some I did. There's a lot of issues there with the the creation of the virus. And these yeah. guys are still out there. So it's really Yeah, and crazy. there's a lot of, of the type of mathematical thing that I touched on today. Everything that I touched on today is in the book. But I just want to tell people about this book. There's a few typos in it because I was really sick when I was finishing it up. And I didn't even get a chance to proofread it, believe it or not, which is really dumb. But I couldn't. I tried to send it to some editors in New York to edit it for me. And, you know, the, the um, literary world is very woke. And they all wrote me back and said, I'm not going to help you with this. So I couldn't even get an editor to help me. Uh, have you ever seen that? Have you ever looked up Fiverr? Looked up what? Fiverr, have you heard of the website Fiverr? F I V E R R. No, is that a? Yeah, you can get. Yeah, you can get. You can probably find somebody in your neck of the woods over there in Southeast Asia to edit or overview your book for five five cents on the dollar. Oh my lord! Well, you can probably have somebody put through five iterations of a book cover too, if you wanted to redo a book cover for fifty bucks. I know that cost because I did it. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I'll yeah. Look up Fiverr. I'll send you F I V E R R. But on my next book, I'm going to get it edited right and everything. It's going to be my grand opus, thousand. You'd be surprised. These guys are very skilled. You can get a good, decent yeah, editor uh, through well, the I internet. Have, you don't have to go through some other place. I had kidney stones and deep vein thrombosis while I was writing this book, so I was so sick I could barely do it. And I mean, you know, there's one example of when I fell asleep and my head hit the keyboard, went right down and hit the keyboard. So that's how I was when I was doing it. But anyway, um, it's it's a pretty good book. It's really unique, and it needs to be said. These people need to be have their names listed. Not just say the CDC did this or the FDA did that. I'm talking about the names of the people on the committees that approve vaccines for children when the data did not justify it. I right. named their names. Yeah. You know what I mean? Super dangerous. The amount of harm they're going to do to the cost is not even – it's not even close. It's just you're going to get more harm than anything the kids need. There's you've never been established that they're even been at risk from anything. So know. this I, is I, definitely I, going to mean harm. It's very evil, very serious. Yeah, but a very uh, serious topic, very important, but <clears throat> very important topic. And I have so, your your Substack is right here. Let me hold on just a sec. I'll put a link to the Substack so people can read out, uh, check out your other stuff. Doctor Reed Sheftall dot substack.com that will be in the show notes as well as well as your youtube channel 
And is that the best place to reach you? Can they reach you through Substack? They can they can um, reach me there, or they can just go to rsheftal at gmail.com. I got a real simple email address. Nice, perfect. I'll but um, thanks you very much, William. And let's do meet again and finish it up because yeah. I hope at least if you get good feedback on it, I'd be happy to finish this thing up. I'm, I'm already getting like good feedback. So. I like the best for the end. Yeah. And if people are listening too, if you guys have any more uh, COVID questions, you can bring them on for part two. Yeah. But today we talked about Dr. Reed Sheftall's book, just published, Heroes and Villains, the COVID-19 Book of Lists. So that's a part one. Thanks so much, Reed. Thanks, William. All right. Take care. Stay there. Stay there. Stay there. Stay there.